I'm going to start off uh, repeating one of the songs that we uh, shared today. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. For all my friends and neighbors and those listening today who don't know what the significance of this newborn king what this is all about, I prepared a few thoughts today to explain why we need a Savior, and we're going to look, we've been looking at the book of Genesis, it's almost like um, I shared last week, the significance of a COVID vaccine, it's a significant thing, Uh, we realize that when we understand what it did for us, right? So this newborn baby in a manger What's the significance of a baby born they call a savior? So we kind of have to understand uh, what we're being saved from, right? And so um, let's go ahead and start. Uh, We learned in Genesis, uh, God's creation was good and it was very good, right? And then um, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed and... Things turn south very, very quick in a few chapters. And so this quote, not sure if it was James Dobson or Chuck Swindoll. I forget who it's attributed to, but I'm going to attribute it to God. (laughs) The best thing about people is people, right? We read the book of Genesis. God loves his creation. The best thing about people is people. And the worst thing about people is people. (laughs) I'm going to attribute that to God, because that kind of sums up the whole book of Genesis. We found out in the book of Genesis that God is a benevolent creator. God is just, but also merciful. There are consequences, right, for Adam and Eve's uh, choices, but at the same time, God did not kill them. Well, He limited, kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, but he gave them a lifetime to live their life and choose to do good. God clothed them, and he allowed them to raise a family that we learned. Cain and Abel, and then the first sibling rivalry became, came, uh, uh, Cain uh, murdered his brother out of jealousy, but he was allowed to live and prosper. And then uh, in Genesis 6, God regretted he ever created humanity. Their line just grew and grew and grew. We see genealogies of good and evil, and evil was on the hearts of man all the time, God found out. And God decided, I'm going to start over. I'm going to press a reset button. So God created, uh, brought the flood and wiped out humanity, save for Noah's line, right? So it's interesting, just a few points here. It's been, uh, those of you that have been with us the last month and a half, we've been going through Genesis, and we discovered that God created all the plants and seed-bearing plants that are good for food. So in the Garden of Eden, I guess we were meant to be vegetarians, <laughs> okay? But after the flood, 
There's actually a verse that God says that all the living animals now are provided for you for food. It's kind of uh, an interesting turn of events that uh, God provided the ability to eat uh, meat and living animals. But it's interesting, I just want to point out that uh, there is a verse in uh, Genesis chapter 9 that every living thing that has blood, right, right after he said you could uh, use them for food, but every living thing that has life blood in it will have to give an account to God. So I just want to make that point. There's something in the blood of, of animals. There's life, uh, life in the blood. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, out of vampire lore, right? What are vampires? They're kind of like zombies that, I don't know, come about in the earth and they search the earth for what? Blood, right? What sustains vampires? Blood. There's life in the blood, right? And this is lore. This is myth, you know, fantasy. But I, think about this. You can't, you can't uh, store blood and pour it into something, a dead animal, and make it living again, right? However, if there's a living person and you're anemic and your blood is being lost, you can pour blood into that person, right? And what? It revives them. There's life in the blood. In fact, there are blood banks, if we think about it, where we just store up blood. <laughs> you know, kind of like vampires, okay? It doesn't work that way, but there's life in the blood. When I was a kid, uh, I always kind of liked to uh, put a flashlight to my fingers, because in your fingers in, uh, are the most capillaries, right? You see that glows orange and, and red, right? I mean, we don't really see blood, right? right now, but it is, you know, God sets our hearts to pump blood, and gosh, if that stops, there's no life in our bodies. There's something about sacredness about blood. So God uh, gives a command that every living thing will be accountable for uh, their life's blood and how they treat other people. And this is just a point that points to some of the reasons and theology behind what the baby Jesus is all about, that blood covers our sin, okay? And that's certainly a message for another time and uh, time that we could do some Bible study of what that actually means, that uh, a sacrificial sacrifice, the blood of a sacrificed animal uh, or the Christ covers our sin, so we learned in Genesis that Noah's line was allowed to repopulate the earth after the flood. And guess what happened? After generation and generation and generation, uh, humankind started to get a little full of themselves and wanted to make a name for themselves and built a tower up to the heavens. And uh, we didn't really go into it too much, but just uh, a side thought of, who did they want to make a name for themselves? You know, they were kind of all one species, right? All speaking the same language. And maybe they wanted to make a name for themselves amongst each other, right? 
But uh, this was before the spread of the different nations, kind of like the rival soccer teams and nations that we have now. But they were all one language, but they wanted to make a name for themselves. I, thought, I think they wanted to make a name for themselves among God and the heavens because they wanted to build a tower up to the heavens. So again, this great offense of wanting to be like God's. You know, there are religions now, right, that promise that you can be little gods, right? If you do this and this and this, after this life, you can become like gods. But God limits their selfish ambition. And gosh, over through the, the, the decades, how many dictators wanted to make a name for themselves? But God eventually what? Limits even the dictators, even the most evil dictators throughout history. So God intervenes that we found in Genesis and limits their life to 120 years. No more 800 years for that. No more 900 years for this. But limits their life to 120 years. Secondly, God promises through this line of, of uh, Noah to bless Abraham and Sarah he promises in Genesis 12:3 that all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham and Sarah somehow. And this is kind of the first time I was kind of searching through Genesis how to tie in Christmas and the promise of a baby Jesus with the Old Testament. And this is kind of the first time that in Genesis 12:3 it points to the need for a savior as we look ahead. Now, this Savior would not become what people were expecting, right? Right? The, the newborn king, the baby Jesus, the king of the Jews, born in humble Bethlehem, right? It is not what people were expecting. And just briefly, people were expecting a political king, a king of the Jews, to free them from Roman oppression, a political king. But the Savior came not to conquer the Romans or any political foe, but even beyond that. But God, the king, the king, would come to rule over evil, and the evil one in the hearts of all humanity. So the news of baby Jesus is a deeply personal story of the Messiah and a Savior for each heart and for the war that's warring in the hearts of humans today, of good and evil. And how do we do this? We allow God to rule in our own hearts. That's how God's kingdom reigns. We allow God to rule in our hearts. And so, well, kind of, that's kind of the gist of today's message of, of uh you know, this baby Jesus, people weren't expecting it. And what was, this, what was the significance of that? But um, people were expecting, like I said, a political king. But the king and ruler is really the ruler over evil and the ruler over our own hearts. So I'm just going to go on a little tangent, uh, kind of, it's like a, t a message within a message. And the message within the message is... God, Jesus, the Savior of the world, was hiding in plain sight. There are lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that were predicted before. Um, 
Of course, if we lived in that time, you know, these prophecies are predicting things in a linear, linear future, right? But we now have the advantage of kind of like a bird's eye view of history, right? 2,000 years ago, these things were fulfilled in the baby Jesus. And we can kind of look back and, and kind of connect the dots and say, oh yeah, this was predicted 700 years ago. This was predicted 1,000 years ago. So I just want to point out a few. 700 years ago in Micah 5.2, it predicts that through Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the one who will be ruler over Israel. 700 years before the birth of Christ. 460 years before in Malachi, Malachi 3.1, um, he predicts that the Messiah would be preceded by a messenger. So this is the point I, I, uh, I want us to think about because um, it uh, uh, goes back to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the hymn that we sung today. And it's a theme that uh, is a take-home point today. So this is an important uh, prediction, an important prophecy out of Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then in, um, so who was the, the messenger that announced the coming of the Lord? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was uh, announcing in the wilderness, he was kind of depicted like kind of like a, a mountain man <laughs> uh, wearing uh, uh, goofy clothes in the wilderness. And he says in Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll come back to this in a moment, this whole idea of there's one who is sent before announcing the Savior of the world. And back to our hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. The Herald, that's what John the Baptist was, was a herald. I kind of looked up the word herald, and the first thing, image that came to my mind was a pilgrim's hat. <laughs> Before the, before the printing press, before uh, uh, the internet and email, before written things, they would have someone with a little uh, megaphone announcing the news, okay? From town to town, city to city, they would announce the news. They were a herald. And that's why, I guess, some of the papers are called, you know, the Sacramento Herald, Right? Herald, announcing news. Here's a couple more, uh, just briefly. Messiah, let's see, 520 years before the birth of Christ, and Zechariah announces that, predicts that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey. The king comes to you, humbly riding on a donkey, even a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And we all know that's how Jesus entered into Jerusalem, Right? The Messiah, a thousand years before, uh, 
Christ was born. In Psalm 41, uh, probably written by uh, King David, the Psalms, the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Yes, my own friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And then in John 13, says, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. So this, uh, this uh, prophecy also gives the reason behind a prophecy, okay? Not just um, uh, this was predicted and this was fulfilled, not just uh, a simple prophecy, but this gives a reason uh, for the whole uh, reason for the prophecy, very much like the reason that Jesus did miracles in his day. Okay, what? Jesus did miracles in his day and, do, and doesn't necessarily uh, uh, do them right in front of us now, but when there's a miracle, it often says, so that you may believe. So this uh, prophecy was also so that others would believe. There's other ones that... Uh, Jesus would be, the Messiah would be valued at 30 pieces of silver, and that's what uh, Judas uh, uh, was paid. And this one here, besides um, giving a prophecy so that we may believe, this prophecy explains why the Messiah had to come. So this one's packed with uh, theology, packed with reasons behind um, the need for a savior. 700 years before the birth of Christ, in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, this is about the Messiah would be wounded and crushed for our peace. And that's hard to understand right there. If, you don't, if you're not a Christian, if you're not brought up in the faith. But it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought, the punishment that was brought as peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. That prophecy is packed with the reasons of why we needed a savior and a sacrificial lamb for us. There's other predictions uh, that uh, this, the Messiah would be pierced, his hands and feet. But I'm going to move on to um, this next, next one here. There's predictions that the Messiah would rise from the dead. But I think, uh, I'm not sure if Kathy read this one, Matthew 2, 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? To bless this uh, Messiah, born to be king of the Jews and to bless all nations through the line of Abraham. Again, not literally a king of the Jews, but a conqueror of sin and death so that we might have victory over evil and the grave. So I want to touch on this idea of the Magi. <clears throat> Other people from around the world, different countries, knew of the coming Messiah. And I want, want 
there's current evidence that even ancient China, the longest, oldest civilization on earth, the descendants of Noah, one of Noah's line, Noah had three kids, Ham, Shem, and another one I can't pronounce. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> so after Noah's three kids, they spread all over the earth. Tower of Babel, they were scattered. Um, even ancient China knew of these creation stories. That there would be one who would take away the sins of the world. Even the ancient writings of China has evidence of the biblical creation stories and the prophecies of the Messiah to take away the sins of the world. Not sure if you know that some of the oldest Chinese history books record that the Chinese worshipped the god above all gods, and they called him Shangdi. You guys heard of that? Uh, since the beginning of Chinese civilization thousands of years ago. The Chinese classics describe Shangdi as a god who created the universe, the earth, and all living things and human beings, which is interesting, amazingly similar to our Bible that we have today. This is interesting. The ancient writings that they found um, speak of the creation stories and the one that would take away the sins of the world that were subsequently, this author says, subsequently written in the Bible. Because we kind of look to the Bible as like the recorded history of all things, right? But these writings um, in ancient China occurred a thousand years before the Bible was written, which is amazing. These writings were written a thousand years before the earliest known Bible was written. So for over 4,000 years, the Chinese emperors worshipped Shangdi. Emperor Shun also worshipped Shangdi way back in 2000, 2,200 years before the birth of Christ, more than 1,030 years before the earliest book of the Bible was written. So there's an amazing study, uh, if you're interested in reading some of these things. Um, the, the Chinese writing, as you know, are described as picto, pictograms or pictographs. And uh, there's, a, there's a character for the word migration now, but if you do a little history of how that character was created, um, it kind of describes very similarly to the scattering of people after the Tower of Babel. Um, coincidental, but it's, if you have faith, oh my gosh, it, there seems to be um, captured in these simple um, characters, uh, theological themes and terms. So if that is true, you know, as a Chinese American, um, I'm looking out in the crowd here, and everyone here looks Asian-American, okay? Well, I always wondered, you know, we're uh, Asian-Americans brought up here, and as far as I grew up, all of China was, you know, atheist, 
communists, Taoists, Confucianists, you know, uh, Buddhists, probably different parts of that, right? We always look to them as a non-Christian um, society. And even when you talk to people from uh, China or the mainland, they think of Christianity as a Western religion, a Western conception. And this is, uh, I, I discovered a Chinese track, a track on this uh, whole idea that I'll give you the reference to if you, if you wish. But um, this describes even before Confucius lived, even before the ancient wisdom people of all of China, the emperors worshipped a monotheistic god, our god of the heavens. I've always wondered, well, if God came to the Jews and, you know, there's a history of the Bible, where were the Chinese people during this time, <laughs> right? Uh, if Chinese uh, people have the oldest continuous civilization and were supposedly around at the time of Jewish history, how come the Chinese aren't in here? <laughs> right? I just kind of wondered that. Um, but God did choose that we learn that God chose the nation of Israel to bless the nations. That's what we, um, that's what we learned. But it certainly describes after the Tower of Babel, after Noah's line, that uh, people were scattered to all different nations around the earth. And certainly we know that there are populations that uh, lived and thrived and lived at about the same time that this Jewish history was going along. And here we have kind of written evidence, written evidence of these oral traditions and stories. So I just want to point that out. It's an amazing study that you could uh, continue on. Even these complicated uh, theological terms that we see expounded upon in the Bible, such as like righteousness and things like that, are described there. So that's kind of all I wanted to share with you today. I wanted to go back to Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. What is a herald? It is a messenger. And a messenger, nowadays, we have the advantage of looking at history from a 365-degree view that not only these prophecies were filled in the time of Christ, but guess what? What's amazing we come from history and a perspective that Jesus lived, he died for the sins of the world, already done, and he was raised, and he's with us today in spirit. It's already done. So what they were harking that a baby Jesus was born was a point in time in history, pointing to a future, and that God is present. So every time you and I and we proclaim the gospel, Every time we share a little bit of hope of our faith in God, we are a modern-day herald. You and I are a John the Baptist. You and I are a herald. Every time we talk to someone on the phone and give them a little bit of hope, every time we give a little Bible verse or we share a hymn or a song that gives them encouragement, the word of God, the gospel, we are a herald. That's what we are today. Each of you that are believers, you are a herald. We're going to close on a little video 
of a modern-day herald that was depicted in modern-day times in 1964 from Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. And the herald was Linus. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's the herald message for us today. Every time we share that, we are a modern day John the Baptist, just like our good friend Linus. So let's, uh, this is for um, the message for all our friends, neighbors, relatives that don't know the significance of the newborn king. This is what Christmas is all about. So let's, let's close in prayer. God, we stand at this point in history from an amazing vantage point, almost like your uh, godly vantage point, that now you, the Savior of the world, is hidden in plain sight. There are so many signs that were predicted long before that were fulfilled in the coming of baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, God, the world was looking for a political king, a powerful king, but you came in a way that was unexpected, humble, and in the little town of Bethlehem. God, you created, uh, wanted to set up your kingdom, not in a particular country or a particular uh, political um, party, but God, your war was against the evil one and the evil that reigns in all humankind, God. And we look to you, not only for that battle to come, but God, you have won that battle. And we praise you for that. Gosh, you, we hear you when we grieve your Holy Spirit, when we think and do wrong things. We hear you when you whisper in our pleasures. We hear you shout in our pain. Revelations 3.2, you describe God. Here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So if there's anyone listening here, present, or eventually online, how do you respond to God? You would simply, we could simply do this. You would say to God's beckoning to our hearts, Lord, here I am. I acknowledge the need for a savior to conquer the evil sin and death in our hearts. I repent, that means to turn to God's ways, not our own ways, and identify with your righteous life. We trust in you, God, that you paid for the evil in our hearts and we shout joy to all the world. And we thank you, God. Out of all the people in the world, we thank you for making me. Out of all the people in the world, I thank you for loving me. Out of all the people in the world, thank you, God, for forgiving me and creating in me, creating in us a new heart. May you set up your kingdom and reign in our hearts. 
and that would be a kingdom of love and joy and peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And if this is the will of your heart, as we close, and all God's people said, amen.